Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekends of December 18th through the 20th, December 25th through the 27th, 2020, and January 1st through January 3rd, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Hope you all had a great holiday session and that this year has been treating you kindly uh, and at least better than 2020 was. Uh, Some housekeeping before we catch up from our mini break. Uh, If you haven't yet, be sure to check out the 2020 year in review episode of the box office industry. This should be the last episode in your feed. uh, Or I also have a link to a YouTube video uh, in that as well if you want to check out a version on YouTube. Uh, Not exactly related to movie industry, but I also started another mini-podcast series looking at the year of 2020 through the lens of the memes we shared. It's called The Year in Memes Podcast, and it'll be about six episodes or so these first couple of weeks of January. I'm planning on doing it every year around this time, not like a long-running show, uh, but check it out uh, if you have a chance in all of your normal podcast sources. Um, now, that being said, you know, this episode was a little bit later because, you know, I do have to split my editing time between that show and this one, uh, but also on top of the fact that, uh, you know, there was a three weeks worth of news to cover instead of just one, like I normally do, took a little bit longer to compile all the news that I would normally. Um, so even though this episode is coming out a day later than normal, uh, moving forward, our schedule is still going to be on Tuesday uh, as usual. So uh, look forward to that next week. Anyway, all of that out of the way, what did we miss while we were out on holiday? Well, going back to the weekend of the 19th or the 18th, uh, the only real notable domestic opening was Monster Hunter at $2.2 million in 1,736 theaters for a per theater average of $1,268. A pretty low opening for a pandemic-era film, all things considered, most of them about the maybe three to even $4 million range. Um, and that, combined with the canceled release, re-release, or canceled release of this film in China due to that uh, dumb joke that they made, has the worldwide total of this at just under $16 million against a $60-60 million budget. Not great. Uh, you know, not much else to really worth reporting on uh, that weekend domestically aside from this Lion Gates film called Fatal that made about you know less than a million dollars. Internationally, though, the 18th was the weekend of the release of Wonder Woman 1984 in various markets worldwide. Uh, I'll get into how Wonder Woman 1984 specifically has been doing since then. But first, you know, let's let's then hop to the uh, past couple of weekend charts from Christmas onwards when Wonder Woman released here in the States. Um, it's going to be a bit abbreviated, not all the per theater average stats, um, you know, just the totals and which week number it is. So, on the Christmas holiday weekend of 2020, we have domestically, uh, first place, Wonder Woman 1984, uh, with $16.7 million in its first week. Uh, In second place, we have News of the World at $2.2 million in its first week. In third place, we have The Crudes 2, uh, $1.7 million in its fifth week, a 16% drop. Uh, In fourth place, Monster Hunter made $1.1 million in its second week, a 50% drop. And then in fifth place, Promising Young Woman in its debut weekend uh, at $719,000. Uh, and then, you know, moving forward, this chart more or less holds uh, the same for the New Year's weekend with a couple of swaps. Uh, in the first place, we have Wonder Woman 1984, uh, 67% drop to $5.5 million in its second weekend. Uh, in second place, we have The Crudes 2, making $2.2 million, gaining 27% in its sixth week. Uh, in third place, News of the World in its second week dropped 25% to $1.7 million. Uh, and in fourth place, Monster Hunter gained a little bit, uh, 15% to 
$1.2 million in its third week. Uh, in fifth place, Fatal actually came back in its third week uh, to gain 6% for $700,000. Uh, and in Promising Young Woman, mostly flat, about only a 4% drop, uh, made $687,000 in its second week. So obviously, Wonderman is the most interesting thing we need to talk about. As a reminder, right before we went on break, uh, Warner Brothers announced that they would be sending all of their 2021 films to a simultaneous release, both in theaters in the States and on HBO Max with a 30-day window before going to theatrical only for another 30 days before being made available on PVOD. The first film to follow this model was, of course, Wonder Woman 1984, Patty Jenkins' sequel to arguably the best DC Cinematic Universe film they've made so far, which again came out on Christmas Day. Unsurprisingly, the discourse around a woman superhero film online has been somewhat contentious. Uh, disclaimer, I haven't seen the film myself since I don't have HBO Max, so can't comment on that quality specifically from a first-hand perspective. But what I can do is look at the box office numbers from that weekend and see you know, if this gamble paid off for Warner Brothers. So again, you know, Wonder Woman 1984 made $16.7 million, 16.7 uh, in 2,151 theaters over these three days. Uh, this is clearly the highest opening domestically since the pandemic started. Crude's The New Age opened at $9.7 million over the three-day Thanksgiving weekend, and Tenet, the first film back, take home $9.3 million in its three-day Labor Day weekend opening. A lot of holidays. Um, obviously, you know, being arguably one of the most anticipated films of the year prior to COVID coming, it was always going to do comparatively well to the field. The harder comparison, though, will be, you know, how much these HBO simultaneous release affected the box office numbers. I think it's safe to assume that the $16.7 million worth of viewers who saw it in theaters probably would have seen it regardless uh, of it being on HBO Max or not. But the question is how much more could it have made in theaters had it been exclusively shown there and not on HBO Max? We won't really ever be able to know that answer, unfortunately. The other question is, you know, had there not been a pandemic, how much would this film have made? You know, we had about 60% of the theaters closed. Uh, people's uh, appetite for going to theaters are, are is much less than it was before, um, even without HBO Max being an option. And, you know, in major areas like California and New York City proper have been closed as well. So, you know, in comparison to the first Wonder Woman movie, which opened in uh, 2017 to $103.2 million, it is a drop of about... 80%, uh, but again, not a f totally fair comparison given all of those factors. So, you know, unfortunately, there's, real no, there's no real magic ball to be able to give these answers, but what is kind of interesting to look at is, you know, what really matters for this, right? So obviously, this was a ploy by by Warner Brothers to drive up subscribers for their HBO Max uh, streaming service. Um, and, you know, exactly how successful this will this is going to be isn't going to really be based on the box office take uh, it's going to have, though certainly that will help uh, if it is able to bring in some, some revenue in that regard. Um, so, you know, but the real question is how many new subscribers did Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers see for HBO Max? No official reports from there, and I don't expect to see any from them uh, until they, they release the, the next quarterly update or so. But, uh, you know, 
there is some third-party numbers that suggest that Wonder Woman 94 did pretty well for Warner Brothers, you know, to some degree. You know, one report just said that half of HBO Max's activated subscribers, so that's everyone who's actually paying for their HBO Max account, not just those who have access to the account because of, you know, the old HBO or the AT&T subscribers or whatever it is, that they just haven't activated HBO Max yet. Um, so about half of that, which is about 12.6 million at the beginning of the month, probably more by now, um, watched the movie on its first day on the platform. Another reporter source, I believe is Antenna uh, Analytics, suggested that you know Warner, uh, Wonder Woman drove more new account signups than even Hamilton did for Disney Plus back over the summer. Can't find exact numbers for what that is exactly, but again, imagine we'll get those numbers at the next update Warner or AT&T provides. Now, you know, obviously being the most new subscribers for a, a service for last year, the cause of that is is pretty is a pretty big deal. But before everyone gets too excited about saying this is the you know conclusive proof this was a success, the question then is how many of those newsers stay subscribed? It's way too soon to tell that, obviously. It hasn't even been a full month yet, or i.e. one billing cycle when people might just cancel and, and drop off. Um, and you know, on top of whether or not Wonder Woman was able to attract enough new subscribers, the other question is the gamble to move all of their films from 2021 to HBO Max is going to be able to pay off, right? Like, will the films in the next coming months drive as many new subscribers as Wonder Woman and, and as well as be able to keep them? You know, uh, the next the next big film is you know, Tom and Jerry at the end of February and then Godzilla vs. Kong in May, assuming that, you know, doesn't get held up by legal action from Legendary. And again, I don't know what the target number for HBO Max is here is, but I imagine it had to be an order of magnitude above where they were opening at, not simply doubling from the 10 million subscriber range to 20 million. I'm guessing they'd probably be happy with somewhere in the $50 million range to, you know, be on par, you know, not maybe not on par with, but at least, you know, the next step down from where, where Disney is. I don't think 22 or even, you know, 25 million subscribers is going to cut it for, for what they're looking at. Now, one other fa factor you know, in the conversation for, for Wonder Woman, which I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, it's not as well-received as Warner and many others were hoping. The initial Rotten Tomato score had it certified fresh, but as more people got access to the film, its score dipped below that mark to about 60%. And that's the critic score, not the fan score, right? Um, and that's lower than the lowest-rated MCU film Thor in the Dark World making it lose its certified fresh rating. You know, this poor word of mouth is reflected in the theatrical box office numbers. It's a, you know... From from Christmas Day to New Year's, it's a 67% drop week over week, uh, while most other films in that bracket gained. Um, and yes, you know, the other films that released on Christmas dropped a little bit as well, but not nearly as much as 67%. Uh, normally, you want that number in the first weekend to be south of, you know, 50%, maybe like in the 40th percent range for an average film. Uh, sir, there's some justification it might be somewhat front-loaded as, you know, the mega fans all saw it opening weekend. Um, in fact, I think I saw a report saying that, uh, you know, a lot, about 50% of the pre-sales for the film were actually people buying out theaters to be able to, uh, you know, watch it safely in theaters. Um, but that doesn't really bode well, uh, you know, if if 67% drop week over week. Uh, you know, in comparison, Tenet, uh, which had a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, had a pretty consistent about 30 30% drops in its theoretical run week over week for 18 weeks. Um, we'll have to see how box office numbers this coming weekend do for Wonder Woman if the 67% is the trend or if it's going to like soften a little bit. But, you know, 
uh, this doesn't bode well for either retention. If you know word of mouth isn't that great, this might not get people to stick around for HBO Max. And you know, from a purely box office perspective, by my calculations, I think the film's going to top out maybe 40 million is dollar domestically if you know it goes from 67 percent drops to 40 percent drops for the next 10 weeks or so um and also assuming it keeps up making about 70 to 80 percent of its revenue on the weekends as opposed to the weekdays um but that 40 million ceiling i'm seeing nowhere near close to 10 it's 55 million uh that it made by week 10 that all being said, you know, Patty Jenkins has apparently signed on for a new Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 3, uh, with Warner Brothers, despite, you know, seeming a little bit soft on, you know, not being super, super enthused about the release to, to HBO Max, even though it's see they get paid out. Um, you know, and then some other talks about uh, her, you know, not being paid as much before Wonder Woman 2 or Wonder Woman 2 initially until, you know, she, she raised a fuss about it. But um, between, you know, P- Paramount's Cleopatra film and Disney's next Star Wars project, um, I don't know when Wonder Woman 3 is going to come out. So, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, checking in on the Wonder Woman and how it did internationally, while it did open at number one in 32 countries the week before Christmas, um, you know, good good enough to be the top film globally that weekend. The most telling metric I think is actually going to be how it did in China. Uh, remember, China is all but basically 100% recovered from the pandemic at this point uh, with regard to their box office. So you know that factor of oh it's still a pandemic isn't really a factor there. It's really just about how good and how well received the movie is. Uh, three years ago, Wonder Woman made 38.7 million US dollars and closed out at around like you know 90th million uh, for its total run. Now, in comparison, Wonder Woman 1984 made only 18.4 million on the weekend of the 18th, and it actually opened in the number two spot. Um, it then created an alarming 92 percent, uh, taking up only about one percent of total uh, total you know so times that weekend uh, to a measly 1.4 million U.S. dollars. Again, compared to Tenet, that film opened at 29.5 million and dropped only 65 percent, which was a bit of a disappointment, but nowhere near 92 percent. Um, you know, and ultimately tenant closed at 67 million after seven weeks. Uh, the Mulan film from Disney opened at 25.3 million and was horribly panned over there. So, you know, at this rate, I don't think Wonder Woman is even going to break 25 million in China. And I believe initial expectations were close to that 90 million that, you know, China obviously made. Um, granted, you know, this is partly caused, this is definitely partly caused by a poor word of mouth as it opened to an 8.0 on Maoyan, uh, the scoring website, which is equivalent to about maybe like a B minus on cinema score here uh, in the States. And, you know, this kind of makes sense. The film is definitely a big uh, 80s nostalgia trip from what I've been told. Wonder Woman definitely didn't do the same gangbusters numbers that, you know, other uh, superhero films have done over there. But, you know, this is definitely uh, not what Warner was looking for their international release in China. Uh, we'll go back to China specifically in a second, but to round out the Wonder Woman 1984 discussion, let's look at other international numbers. Again, on its first weekend, it net about 38.5 million US dollars in 32 countries, uh, many of them number one. Uh, in fact, I think all of them are number one, almost. Almost all of them. Uh, anyway, sort of the 60 million, this 38.5 is sort of the 60 million dollars people expected. Again, largely driven by a disappointing opening in China. Uh, on Christmas weekend, it added another eight non domestic markets with another 19.4 million dollars uh, internationally, uh, which combined with the domestic revenue brings it to 85 million dollars, US million US dollars worldwide. And then this past New Year's weekend, you know, or just before on Thursday, technically, Wonder Woman crossed the $100 million US 
US dollars, Mark. Uh, another $10 million internationally this weekend. And, you know, as of this weekend, sits at 119 million US dollars worldwide. Uh, again, this is without Europe or without Latin America uh, opening due to the COVID shutdown. So, you know, um, that that's actually not terrible, terrible, but definitely could have been better. Uh, one market where actually did do pretty well was apparently Australia, where it's currently outpacing the first Wonder Woman film. Okay, Wonder Woman aside, how was the China do these past couple of weeks that we've been off on holiday? Uh, so the weekend that Wonder Woman 1984 came out, the top ghosting film was The Rescue, a sequel to the, successful op- the super successful Operation Red Sea from 2018. That that actually sits uh, just ahead, but sorry, just behind Avengers Endgame at number five on China's all-time highest-grossing film list. Unfortunately, in the sequel, The Rescue didn't perform quite as well, opening to only thirty-four million U.S. dollars compared to Operation Red Sea's seventy-six point six million dollars. Um, anyway, moving to the next weekend, Christmas weekend, the top film was Sockwave 2, a standalone film from Hong Kong about a bomb disposal unit. Um, it grossed 63.8 million US dollars, more than the first mil- film actually made in its entire run, 58 million dollars, so pretty big success. Um, in number two, Christmas weekend was Ying Yang Master, uh, grossing 38 million dollars. Uh, interestingly, it looks like the film was actually pulled from theaters this past weekend after accusations of plagiarism of the Doctor Strange movie surfaced. Um, however, it looks like the Yin Yang Master uh, op- got acquired by distribution by Netflix. Um, also on Christmas, Seoul uh, opened uh, to no- at number four position with about $5.5 million total. Um, now, you know, according to Deadline, the top films from the New Year's holiday uh, were actually quite substantial. So on in first place was A Little Red Flower, a drama uh, which made $116 million U.S. dollars opening weekend. Um, now, it also looks like its opening day made $76.4 million U.S. dollars. This is pretty big as it's the third highest opening day, not weekend, day of all time in China. Uh, Endgame 100, made $108 million, Monster Hunt 2 made $86 million, and then Avengers Infinity War made $70 million. So this will definitely be one to watch in coming weeks if it has legs uh, to, to sustain itself. Um, in second place, you know, New Year's this past weekend was the comedy Warm Hug at $80 million US dollars, um, rounded out by Sockwave 2, which, you know, between the weekday and weekend grosses now sits at $126 million. Uh, Seoul actually grew about 149% week over week to $13.7 million, and they got a lot of additional show times as well. Um, you know, sitting currently at $25.7 million in China uh, lifetime, uh, with a high, having the highest per theater, uh, per showing average uh, among widely released films. This points to a potential $50 million take home. Uh, Avengers 2, uh, uh, sorry, Incredibles 2, uh, $54 million being the benchmark for the second highest Pixar film of all time in China. Um, unlikely it's going to beat the number one Pixar film, Coco, which made $177 million out there. Um, if it does really well, it might even be Tenet's $68 million US dollars to be the highest grossing 2020 film in Japan. Uh, this is actually a pretty good place to touch on Seoul. Um, the, now, this one I did see, and I will say I strongly recommend you check it out if you have Disney+, Plus. Uh, especially make sure you check out the extras that came along with it about the behind-the-scenes process of making the film. In any case, uh, here in the States, Disney obviously skipped the theatrical release for Seoul, opting to do a pure streaming release. Uh, my suspicion is that they wanted it to be widely available so that people would you know, be interested in it for you know, Best Animated Film and even potentially a Best Picture nomination for the Oscars. Um, and 
and they also don't want to take away from their potential uh, best animated film next year uh, in Encanto. Sorry, in Luca from Pixar and Encanto from uh, from Disney Animated Studios uh, for 2021. Uh, so that, I guess that's this year, not next year. Um, so they don't, don't want to have Soul compete with those films. Now, according to some reports, more people watch Soul than Wonder Woman on streaming this pa- on Christmas weekend um, here in the states. Though, you know, mixed reporting. Some people are saying the otherwise. This depends on how they uh, track down and how they how they do their methodology. Um, you know, I would definitely buy though that Soul did a little bit better, uh, just given that Disney has a larger footprint overall than HBO Max. Now, speaking of, there's all, and also the good word of mouth as well. Now, there is a small bump in the number of signups for the service um, from the same report that, that we saw Wonder Woman 84 saw, drove some reports, which is good. Um, and, you know, to date, you know, even lastly, uh, in the 11 or so markets where Disney Plus is not available, Seoul has grossed $32.5 million. Uh, Russia and Korea are the next biggest markets yet to release uh, with Seoul. Now, the final big theatrical release news to cover, uh, numbers-wise, is a story near and dear to my heart that I've been following since it, it broke you know, earlier last year. Uh, before the break, the Demon Slayer movie hadn't quite yet beat Spirit of the Way as the top-grossing film of all time in Japan. However, over the Christmas holiday, um, pretty much around Christmas Day, Demon Slayer hit 32.4 billion yen, or just about uh, 313.5 million US dollars. This surpassed Studio Ghibli's 19-year-old hold on the title of Japan's highest-grossing film at 31.68 billion yen. So, you know, this breaking of 300 million dollars uh, US dollars domestically also makes Japan only the third market in the world in history behind the US and China to have a film make that much. So, props to Demon Slayer, props to Japan. However, you know, not content with that, Demon Slayer actually broke another record I've been speculating about. Uh, for a while, I thought that you know, Demon Slayer could maybe take away the highest-grossing uh, anime film worldwide of all time once it released in the U.S. and China, given the appeal here. Well, uh, in addition to the 313 million uh, domestic, uh, thanks to revenue from Taiwan, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Singapore, uh, Demon Slayer past 358 million US dollars worldwide, which was the benchmark for Makoto Shinkai's Your Name. So again, this is all without the US release from Funimation later this year, or an eventual China release, which has been delayed due to them getting more strict about censorship after Monster Hunter. But you know, again, good to the team behind the film. Um, I don't really expect these records to be broken anytime soon, given the declining Japanese population. You know, the only real shot I could see maybe might be if One Piece or Attack on Titan's final arc are adapted similarly in a movie-only manner with all the canon story, with high production quality, um, you know, kind of like what Demon Slayer did with the next arc of the anime. Uh, Demon Slayer has also been the number one film in Japan for the last 12 weeks, even beating out the newest Pokemon film releasing over Christmas weekend, which came in number two. Um, it also has the highest number of admissions of all films in Japan's history. No surprise there, they got the number one uh, as well, since inflation is pretty flat over there. Uh, you know, Given that the official Demon Slayer Twitter account is going to stop reporting on weekly box office numbers, I'll probably stop covering it as frequently as I have been um, each week, though you know, there definitely is a chance that you know when it releases in more markets, and as it extends its on Japan, probably to about $375 million domestically. Um, it could very well become the highest grossing film from 2020, period. Um, it's already you know, a few million away from overtaking Tenet at number four with $362 million. And you know, with a strong US and China performance, could beat China's The 800 at $461 million US dollars. 
Anyway, speaking of the top films from 2020, uh, with the new year, it's definitely worth looking at some official numbers for the box office industry as a whole from the last year. They don't look great, but you know we already knew that was going to happen with the pandemic. Uh, so the numbers: uh, global box office take home was about 12 billion US dollars, compared to 42.5 billion from 2019, representing about a 70% drop or so. Uh, the previous highest year-over-year drop was 1980 to 1981, where the film the industry dropped about 44% due to a severe recession. Now, as expected, China is the top market for the first time in history with 2.7 billion US dollars compared to the US's 2.3 billion. Both markets are still down with China's 2019 making $9 billion and the US domestic market making 11.4 billion, but still congrats to China for taking the crown for the first time. Looking at the top films from 2020 overall, uh, worldwide, we have in first place, China's The 800, 461 million US dollars, and these are all US dollars. Uh, second place, My People, My Homeland from China, 433 million dollars. In third place, Bad Boys for Life, 426 million dollars. In fourth place, Tenet, 362 million dollars. Fifth place, Japan's Demon Slayer, making $359 million. Um, sixth place, Sonic the Hedgehog, $320 million. Seventh place, Doolittle, $250 million. Eighth place, Zhang Jia, which is the Chinese animated film, making $243 million. Ninth place, Birds of Prey, $201 million. And in tenth place, China's The Sacrifice, making $170 million. Again, as I've noted before, China has not only the top film of the year for the first time in history, but actually has four of the top ten films, uh, with Japan rounding out the five, the fifth uh, non-Hollywood films to top the box office within the top ten charts. So, uh, you know, big things happening over there in Asia. Uh, looking domestically, you know, uh, obviously most of these films, in fact, all of these films released, um, almost all of these films, tend the exception, opened prior to the pandemic, closing everything down, but our top 10 domestic films. Uh, in first place, Bad Boys for Life with $204 million. Uh, which, fun fact, the last time Will Smith was on the top of the domestic chart uh, was uh, in 1996 uh, with Independence Day. Uh, in second place, we had 1917, technically released in 2019, but mo made most of its money in 2020, uh, $150 million. In third place, we had Sonic the Hedgehog, $146 million. Fifth place, Birds of Prey, $84 million. Doolittle made $82 million, which lol at RDJ keeping his stranglehold on staying in the top 10 films of the year domestically since 2015 with Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, in sixth place, we had The Invisible Man, $77 million. Seventh place, Call of the Wild, which is wild, uh, $62 million. Eighth place, Onward, making $61 million. And then ninth place, Tenet, $57 million, the only post-pandemic film. And then in tenth place, The Gentleman, making $36 million. Um, now, since China is a top market right now, I think it actually makes sense to also look at their top 10 as well. Um, hopefully, most of these sound familiar. You've been listening to the podcast. Um, none of these are U.S. films. These are all domestic films. Um, and interestingly, also, where you know most of the U.S. films came pre-pandemic, since China had the coronavirus lockdown you know, earlier on in the year before it came here to the States, if you remember, they set down the Lunar New Year celebration. Um, most of China's came after they reopened you know, later in the year, around October or August. Onward. 
So, uh, in for China's top ten, in first place we have eight hundred, the eight hundred, making four hundred and forty-nine million dollars U.S. dollars. All of these. Uh, second place, my people, my homeland, four hundred sixteen million dollars. Third place, Jiangxia, two hundred thirty-six million dollars. Uh, fourth place, The Sacrifice, one hundred sixty-seven million. All of these in the top ten worldwide chart. The new films that are China that that didn't quite make that that level is uh, Shockwave 2, uh, which again opened really recently, made $127 million. Uh, sixth place, we had Leap, $122 million. Uh, Warm Hug made $81 million, which is borderline. It released uh, December 31st. Um, uh, in eighth place, we have Caught in Time, $81 million. In tenth place, Love You Forever, $73 million. And in tenth place, we have The Rescue making sixty-nine nice million dollars. And you know, if you don't count Warm Hug because it was like a December thirty-first release, and half of the weekend, you know, was was the New Year. Um, Tenet made sixty-six million dollars. Uh, if you want to round out the top ten with Tenet, so. You know, honorable mention also to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which broke a billion dollars finally uh, last year due to their re-release in China. Now, again, most, you know, I don't think Hollywood films are going to be completely shut out from China in the future. This is definitely a case of the pandemic. You know, Hollywood didn't release many films at all, period. But, you know, does China need Hollywood films as much to do well? You know, obviously, it's hasty to say again with the pandemic, but as China becomes more and more important for global box office... Filmmakers are going to want to put films in China, but if China has their own domestic market that you know can uh, pump out films that are widely received by China, is there a need as much for uh, for for box office films from Hollywood to get there? Kind of the similar way where India's box office is just dominated by Bollywood and, and other you know local films more so than international films. So you know MCU aside, where does Hollywood fit in? You know, and similar, you know, a further question from that, if these budgets for these films are made with the expectation that you're going to have a large return, uh, including with China, you know, the part of the reason the whole HBO Max thing kind of scares me is that, you know, if it does, if films are going to streaming and not as much revenue is coming in, then, you know, there's going to be less money to make films. They're going to be smaller budget films. So similarly, if China ends up not needing Hollywood films as much to, do, to have a, a thriving market for them, you know, and it's going to be too crowded for Hollywood films to really be able to compete in China, then is there just going to be less money for films in Hollywood if they're not going to, you know, the return on investment for China is going to be as high? Again, only time will tell, but, you know, that's what we're here for, to keep track of these trends. Um, okay, so that's all of the major headlines. There are a couple of smaller headlines, which I'll try to breeze through quickly since we're about half an hour in already. Um, but I definitely think these are worth mentioning. So uh, let's see. First off, the new strain of COVID. Hope everyone's staying safe, especially if you're in the UK. Um, there is a new national lockdown for the UK. Um, I know it's also started to spread here in the States as well. Hopefully the vaccine, you know, people start getting vaccinated is, uh, is a good sign and we'll be able to get this under control. Uh, in the meantime, here in the States, Congress passed the bill to extend $15 billion uh, in relief for movie theaters and live venues, which is desperately needed. Uh, hope you got your $600 uh, stimulus check as well. Uh, next up, uh, another year and number. It looks like streaming platforms, let's be the top ones, overall saw a 50% increase in the number of total subscribers. Again, no, subscri no surprise since everyone was kind of locked down during the pandemic and had nothing else to do but to watch streaming stuff. Uh, speaking of streaming stuff, this wasn't quite covered in the Disney news a few episodes back, but they also announced a Boba Fett series spinoff for Disney Plus from The Mandalorian in addition to everything else they announced. 
let's see. Speaking of, you know, the uh, the ongoing kerfuffle from HBO Max has led Disney to actually look at amending their future contracts to have a safely outlet where, you know, if a film ends up needing to be uh, moved to Disney Plus streaming for whatever reason, um, it's kind of built into the contract how the how the uh, talent is going to get paid out. Um, and if it doesn't do a theatrical release. This is kind of where Warner Brothers kind of got burned. So. Uh, other news from you know the HBO Max situation, uh, you know it looks like you know there's there's rumors, no, nothing firm yet, that HBO Max may roll back your decision to to have Dune and HBO and Godzilla versus Kong on HBO Max, um, you know due to the situation with Legendary Pictures. Um, Dune is supposedly to quote unquote preserve the for the franchise potential, and you know Godzilla, you know uh, because they were the Legendary had been negotiating with Netflix for about two hundred fifty million dollars before while Warner Brothers unilaterally made the move. They might need to buy that out for that amount. So we'll see if that if that comes to pass there. Um, other movies that apparently had been, you know, need to be might be moved off of this plan include Will Smith's biopic of the of uh, Serena and Venus Williams' father, Richard Williams. Um, named, with the movie's called King Richard. Uh, apparently, the contract uh, that they had was uh, required a theatrical only release explicitly, um, and that's only one of many. You know, there were, there were some others I think that got moved off of the HBO Max schedule um, because it came to light that oh, they actually are theatrical release only. They're just distributing. They're not actually owning anything of the film. Um, on top of that, uh, you know, that doesn't even get to the rights situation with Matrix or Suicide Squad. So, you know, who knows? Um, anyway, uh, you know, another kind of fallout from this. Kind of on a positive spin, though, uh, Sony reportedly has been seeing more interest in filmmakers who don't want to see their films be sent direct to streaming. Um, so, you know, again, the real effect of this HBO Max deal is the ostracization of Hollywood talent, which is a boon for Sony, right? They don't have a streaming platform for live films. Um, their only streaming play is animation and anime via Crunchyroll and Funimation, or, you know, presumably, like, they could license out films to streamers for the right price, but in which case the, uh, the creators would either have to approve and or negotiate their compensation for such a deal. So, you know, this puts Sony in a great spot moving forward. Um, on top of that, they also said they're going to be developing films and TV shows based off of their PlayStation video game properties, which, you know, could be exciting given how successful the PlayStation 5 launch was. Uh, speaking of HBO Max also, um, you know, shortly after my last full episode of 2020, it looked like Roku actually announced they would be bringing HBO Max to their TVs. Uh, finally, on top of, you know, Amazon making the deal a couple weeks back as well, um, this is several months too late, but I guess better late than never. And, you know, if putting their films on the servers is what, you know, Warner needed to do to get Roku to, to give them uh, HBO Max, um, I guess that's a plus. Uh, also, speaking of Roku, it looks like that, you know, Quibi rears its, rears its head again, even in 2021. Um, Roku is apparently nearing a deal to buy all of the Quibi content that's been orphaned by the Quibi shutdown. Uh, and while not quite a shutdown, there were reports that MGM, the studio behind James Bond, is putting itself up for sale. Um, in addition to 50% of the Bond's right, that would include the rights to Robocop, Rocky, Stargate, Bill & Ted, Pink Panther, Legally Blonde, Adam's Family, and Tomb Raider, not to mention many other dormant IPs that would be great for a streaming service. The last it's a privately held company, so you know, not no open market cap to look at. But the last price I've seen quoted around is it's somewhere in the range of 5.5 billion US dollars. Uh, no news yet on potential buyers, but you know, we'll keep you posted on if any of the big players, namely you know, Apple, maybe Disney, maybe Netflix, maybe Amazon, uh, decide to buy it. Um, and also, of course, if this affects the No Time to Die release date. 
Um, speaking of release dates, you know, there were some new movie dates that, that got announced. Um, there is the sci-fi film Chaos Walking, starring Tom Holland and Daisley Ridley, got delayed from January 22 to March 5th, uh, putting up against Ryan the Last Dragon's simultaneous theatrical and Disney Plus premiere access release. Not sure what that says about Lionsgate's uh, confidence in the film if it's putting it that early before vaccines become more commonplace. Um, let's see, A24, uh, The Green Knight, got a release date for July 30th. Um, and then Warner Brothers, Judas and the Black Messiah, about Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party, will be doing a simultaneous HBO theatrical release, um, uh, HBO Max and theatrical release, on February 12th, which is pretty good timing for both Black History Month as well as being eligible uh, just under the deadline for potential awards consideration for the Oscars. Which, by the way, I'm going to be starting up my Oscars Death Race podcast uh, in a couple of weeks or so, so stay tuned for that. Um, anyway, be, be, despite the supposed success of AMC and Cinemark, um, you know, deal uh, for the Swan Theatrical Windows for Recruits 2, and the supposed success of the PVOD uh, situation, which falls World Tour last year, Universal is, you know, moving to the next animated film, Boss Baby 2, not to be PVOD, not to a split, you know, uh, or Sword and Theatrical Window, but they're pushing it off March 26th to September 17th, late state, um, kind of suggesting that maybe, you know, they're, they're kind of realizing what I've been saying all along that, you know, Theatrical is, is, is kind of crucial to all of this. Um, I'm definitely also going to be used to saying uh, 2021 is this year, not next year. Um, anyway, their, ne- their animated film, The Bad Guys, which was set previously for September 17th, has been pushed back to 2022 at some unspecified date. And finally, you know, not a new date, uh, but apparently DC is planning on doing four DC films a year, uh, starting in 2022, with two films on HBO Max per year. And then no Zach, this is no not including Zack Snyder uh, film. Apparently, there's no plans for him in the future for the DC felt universe. But apparently, two Batman sagas with two different actors, one with Michael Keaton, who presumably will be playing an older Batman, and then one with Robert Pattinson will be running simultaneously. All right, we're getting two Batman sagas going on at the same time. What a world we live in. Um, and you know what? You know what else is a world we live in? You know, you probably saw a couple weeks ago Tom Cruise yelling at his crew over not following COVID protocols. Not really much to report there aside from the fact that you know he probably was right that they need to be be careful and so on because of how everyone in the industry is, is relying on them to, to keep things up. Um, but speaking of Tom Cruise, remember that film project where he's planning on going to, to film a, a, a going to space to film a movie? Um, it looks like there's a new Cold War in town as Russia is planning on sending an actor to film to space uh, and they're gonna try to get it in before Tom Cruise does. So you know, I legit. I'm just going to leave it there. I legit don't have any good stories that could possibly follow that up. So I think it's time to wrap this podcast up. Uh, looking forward to this new year of covering the box office news with all of you guys and, you know, hopefully the return of theaters. Um, definitely let me know on how I can improve the show in the new year. You know, this is the time for New Year's resolutions. You can let me know how I can do that uh, via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play as well. Leave a review on your podcast service of choice um, or on podcast.com or just tell a friend. Any of that would be super helpful. Um, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com or intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod you can find his stuff on incompetech.filmmusic.io editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media until next time this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast and remember our watch goes on (laughs) 